This is Marcus Rashford and you're watching BR Football Man. It's been a few weeks, but it feels like only days and the Premier League's returning in a glorious blaze. On Saturday, it begins the hottest ticket in town as Liverpool begin the defence of that much-coveted crown. And yet the champions haven't added too much to their team. Simicast in, but the fans continue to dream of Thiago, Bayern's Catalan heartbeat, to dance across Anfield with twinkling feet. City in the market, they're on the attack with Ferran on the wing and Arke at the back. Pep still seething from the Champions League. A wounded beast is dangerous indeed. And down at the bridge, Chelsea have had the summer of their dreams. Havertz, Werner, Ziyech all now reside in Wallham Green, but the best of West London is dressed in white and black. Oh yes, ladies and gentlemen, my beloved Fulham are back. United and Sancho, will it happen or not? Ollie's at the wheel and he seems to have stopped the rot. Pogba back on form and Bruno pulling strings. Martial through the middle, Rash and Mason on the wings. An old rivalry renewed as back come mighty leads. Their seat at the table covered in dust and weeds, but in Marcelo Bielsa they have a saviour at the helm. Will he be enough? Only time will tell. There's a European race and a relegation fight. The fans baying to return when the time becomes right. We're ready for the drama, for the various twists and turns. It's back, my friends. This week, the Premier League returns. Oh yes, it's BR Football Ranks, your favourite football podcast. And as you have just heard, the Premier League is back. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. And I'm joined as ever by the rank god, Mr. Sam Tai. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. How are you? Yes, I'm good. Thank you. I'm good. I'm super excited for the return of the Premier League. I, I don't think anybody's particularly ready for it, but that no. actually makes me even more intrigued. I mean, this is it. It feels like it's been days, doesn't it? Not, not weeks. It, since the Community Shield and with the Champions League and the Europa League, it doesn't feel like football's really stopped. And yet we're back in season. We're back in full swing. And, and that's very exciting. And a man who's been covering this month off with a plum as ever, Mr. Dean Jones, our transfer titan. How are you, mate? Very good, mate. Very good. Well, the Premier League is going to be different, obviously, because Fulham are here to take it by storm. So for me and you, it's very exciting times. Um, yeah, we might even get to a few games. You never know, mate. We might get to a few games. You never know your luck. You never know yeah. your luck. But we're not going to be at any games for the foreseeable future. And that is sad. I mean, this is, is they're talking about October as where fans might be allowed to go back in, in small kind of doses, I suppose. But you know, there's so much going on and the situation obviously constantly changing that it just feels silly to, to try and plan for anything at this point. It's just kind of take it as it comes and, and hope for the best, right? Yeah, I think so. I've, I've, been, I've been confused a little bit, actually, by uh, you, you get so accustomed to looking at empty stadiums that when I was watching Liga, you know, I was looking at the because they've got the, the, the people in the crowd spaced out sort of two meters apart following social distancing guidelines. I thought they were cutouts, but just distanced cutouts. And then I saw one move and I got super freaked out. And I was like, oh my God, it's a crowd. And it, you get to the point where you become so conditioned by flat backgrounds and non-moving backgrounds that actually when you see someone move in the crowd and you start to see people filtering into these stadiums, even if it's just a couple thousand, you go, oh my God, I forgot that could happen. I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that affects the players uh, and whether the game changes a little bit when fans are back in there because they'll have been used to these 
you know, quiet stadiums mm. where they can hear each other a little bit better. Um, you know, they'll be scared. Is that what you're saying? They're going to be terrified. I think some players will love Loud it. Noises. Some players are going to hate it. It's going to be yeah. really interesting to see how that changes things. Um, but let's do some, some predictions. And for Hot Takes this week, we thought we would take things in a direction of a few predictions for the season. And so, Dean, I'm going to start with you and I'm going to ask you, who is going to be the best signing in the Premier League this season? Well, I'm going to go a bit different here because I think everybody's going to expect that it's going to be Havertz or Werner and it might well be but that's so obvious and I think that someone just hasn't been spoken a lot about um, since he was signed to be honest is Gabriel coming into Arsenal I think that this is a guy that's going to make a huge difference to Arsenal and can really speed up the transition of Arteta turning this side from a decent team to a very good team that is actually properly top four um, well capability to get to make that top four they just didn't look like they had it in last season you just could never depend on them they had no consistency and yes they've they've won the FA Cup and they've won the Community Shield so they now seem to be getting that mentality but they've still got this frailty and I think that Gabriel you know I wrote a big article about him on, on BR and I spoke to a lot of people for that and Honestly, people speak about this guy so highly and you, you don't have to watch too many highlights to realise why. You know, he's got a great presence, he's, he's dominant, he's got um, very good vision, he can start attacks. He's kind of got really good intelligence, but he combines it with the aggressive side of the game. So I don't think he's going to be intimidated by making this move into the Premier League. Um, one guy, and I've seen a lot of him, said he genuinely believes he'll become one of the best defenders in the Premier League and doesn't think it will take him too long. I mean, he's only been playing, you know, top-level league of football for 18 months. Um, so it's been quite a rise for him. Um, but yeah, I just, I just think that Gabriel is, is going to really, really change the Arsenal team. We, we know what they're capable of in attack. But finally, it might be that they have some stability at the back as well to go with it. Sam, who are you going for? Yeah, this doesn't happen very often, but Dean and I have picked the same player for this uh, this this particular subject. I'm I'm all in for for Gabriel as well. Dean's Dean's nailed it. I think. I mean, physically he's ready, mentally and combatively he's ready. Uh, I think he's going to make an absolutely massive impact, and that's what you want for if you're picking signing a season. Obviously, like, probably best value or best best player that that's been signed for a fee this summer is probably Ferran Torres for like 25 million. That's that's incredible value, but. Do I expect Torres to set the world alight this season? Probably not, but I think Gabriel's going to have a massive impact. So in the interest of a variation and just to pick somebody else, my second on the list was going to be Matt Doherty. And I hope I've actually stolen your pick by doing that, Jack. Maybe I have. But Doherty for 15 million, still wrapping my head around it. Premier League quality wing back, very productive, good solid defensively, solves a massive problem position for Spurs. As the All or Nothing documentary has taught us, Jose Mourinho does not trust Serge Aurier, so he's got a different player there. Doherty's great. I, I think he's gone really cheap. I'm surprised Wolves have allowed him to move on. I think he'll make a huge impact as well as Gabriel. I would say that having watched Matty Doherty play in a back four for Ireland as opposed to the back five that he's played in at Wolves, it surprised me how little he's got forward and how little he's kind of shown productively. Now, this Ireland side is, is a poor side. So let, let's not take it away from the fact that with better players, he will be able to do different things. But it has shocked me how, how little he's able to create from a little bit further back. And I'm really intrigued as to how that switch of position from right wing back to right back, if Spurs go down that route. I mean, Marino might go five at the back. But if he doesn't and he does go with a back four, I'm really intrigued to see how Dotti gets on with that and how he, he starts to 
to change that. So we'll I, I, I get I get your point, but also as we know with Spurs, even when they play with a back four, they kind of tilt it round, don't they? So they've been sending Oreo flying up the right hand side, and Ben Davis, if he's fit, has been tilting in as the left centre back to make it a back three. So even if he starts in a back four, the way the Tottenham defensive line kind of tilts and shifts around probably means that he gets forward just as much anyway. There might be more of a defensive onus than there used to be at Wolves, and I, and I appreciate that. But I think we'll see his attacking returns for sure. Excellent. Well, I wasn't going to go with Matty, oh. much as I love him. Um, and I, I thought about going for Kai Havertz because, you know, I, I love Kai Havertz and it's, it's very obvious. But as Dean said, it seems a little bit predictable. Um, I've gone with a double signing, which is potentially cheating a little bit. But I think Callum Wilson and Ryan Fraser for Newcastle United is an absolutely unbelievable bit of business. And mm. the fact that three or four days ago, I was looking at Newcastle and being like, what are they doing? Why have they not signed any players? Potentially looking at a, a real relegation scrap. I think the fact that they've signed three really good players in the last three days, two very sensible Premier League buys who you know are accustomed to the division or who have worked together before in the case of Fraser and, and Wilson and are able to provide this forward line with some oomph. I think that Fraser, Wilson and Alan St. Maximin are an unbelievable front three. That's a very, very exciting front three. And I think the Newcastle fans will be will take to Wilson. He works unbelievably hard off the ball. He scores goals uh, and he's proven at this level. And I think that give, taking that defensive, uh, the attacking onus off Joel Linton, um, letting him become maybe a little bit more of a bit part player this year and, and potentially gravitating towards where he came you know, what he played like at, in Germany. Um, so, and allowing that to kind of flourish a bit more, hopefully will we'll reignite his kind of form. But uh, yeah, I'm just all in on Wilson and Fraser for Newcastle. I, I've gone from being worried about them being in a relegation scrap to thinking they might be able to achieve a top 10 finish. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I mean, we're going to do a 1-20 to 20 Premier League table prediction, so uh, I won't give too much away. But um, I think I, I agree with you in that it has changed the forecast of their season for sure. Having players with that chemistry... Uh, and that Premier League pedigree and just getting them together. Do you think? Do you think maybe Fraser was texting Callum Wilson like, "I'll go if you go. I'll go if you go." Yeah, and Wilson was like, yeah, "Yeah, I'll go if you go as well." Yeah, we'll go as a pair. We come as a pair. I imagine that's probably how it played out. And uh, Newcastle have pulled off a blinder, I think. Yeah, very, very good. Right, let's take it to the next hot take. And over to you, Sam, for breakthrough star of the year. Yeah, breakthrough star. This means something different to everybody, I think, depending on kind of just how saturated you are within the football world or how much you know of certain players. And some people just fly under your radar a little bit. So I give a little shout out to Ben White, who I think is going to impress a lot of people this season uh, in Brighton's defence. Also, the phenomenally named Alexis McAllister. He was basically moving into the Aaron Moy role in that Brighton team. He is great. But I'm going to go for Shea Adams. I think, I think we're on a Shea Adams breakout watch. And that is because he really found his groove uh, in the post-lockdown football end of last season. Four goals in four starts. He played up, up front alongside Danny Ings. So Danny Ings took all the attention in his golden boot race. And Adams kind of flew under the radar a little bit. But he found his shooting boots. And if that continues, I think he'll hit double figures this year. I think he'll form a really good partnership with Ings. And it's really well balanced because Ings drops off the forward line and takes the ball to feet and turns. Adams runs the shoulder, runs into space behind and sort of ruffles up centre-backs. He's quite... He's a bit of a battering ram of a centre forward. And now that he's found his, his, his shooting boots in the box, he's dangerous as well. So I'll go Shea Adams. Yeah, I like this. I've chucked him on my fantasy team. And we're going to talk about fantasy a little bit later in the roulette section. Um, but I, I also agree. I think that given how good he was post-lockdown, we, we might be able to see 
you know, it felt like things just weren't clicking for him before. He'd hit the bar, he'd hit the post. It just wouldn't go in the back of the net. And as soon as the first one did, and what a goal to kick it off, yeah, yeah. it did then just start to flow for him. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm quite comfortable with that as a shout. Dean, who are you going for? Breakout star. I'm going for Ibera Eze at Crystal Palace. Um, it's taken mm. me a while to learn how to say his name, but I think I've got it. Um, <laughs> I like how you've gone for the shortened version, just, yeah, to, just shortened to be sure. Version. We'll all know what it is by the end of the season, because I think he's going to be pretty special, this lad. Um, but he's 22, so some people might think that you can't be a breakout star at that age. But given the level of football we've been playing before now, he's worked his way up from Millwall, QPR, he's been at Wickham. You know, this is his first chance really on this stage, and um, he's earned it, that's for sure. And I think that from what I've heard so far at Crystal Palace, he's made a big impact. Uh, he's had a bit of a knock, which which hasn't been easy. But in his first couple of days, he um, he was so good that I was told that Will Zaha was actually getting a bit jealous because he got <laughs> so much attention. And uh, apparently, in those first sessions, Zaha really turned it up a gear. Um, really wants to prove that. Hang on, no, I'm the main man around here, mate. Don't, don't you try coming in here with all your flash picks. Um, but look, Eze, he's exciting. He's raw, but he's not stupid with it. Um, and I really, really think we're going to see some magic for him this season. It's a great signing for Crystal Palace. Yeah, very much so. I mean, Fulham were linked and I was very hot on that move. I really, really like Eze. I think he's just, you know, it, the change for him at QPR where the first season he was flicks and tricks and a little bit of odd magic here and there, but didn't have the work rate to, to pair with it. And the fans were a bit like frustrated with, with how he's playing. And then the last season, just everything sort of fell into place within the work rate, the creativity, the productivity, all of it seemed to combine. And he became such, like, so obviously the key man in that side. And you saw goals like that one against West Brom where he just, he cut, cuts across the defender and hits it across keeper into the top other hand, of, uh, other side of the goal. And you're like, no one finishes like that. This is an absurd way to finish a strike. And yet he was doing it. I, I'm really, really excited to see Eze in the Premier League. And I think, still a bit gutted Fulham let him go from their academy at 16, really. I think with Palace particularly, this is an opportunity to get Zahara a bit of one-on-one or, or at the worst two-on-one rather than the three-on-ones he always faces. Because we all know, right, with Palace, if you shut Zahara down, they probably aren't scoring. But that's not the case anymore. People have to be a bit more honest with their defensive approach. They have to distribute their defenders across the pitch to deal with two serious dribbling goal scoring threats rather than just one and it makes Palace a much more diverse outfit yeah absolutely 100% um, I'm going to finish this you thought your player was a bit too old Dean I'm going with a 24 year old um, Daniel Podence of Wolverhampton Wanderers who came in in January and, and sort of played a slightly bit part role I think in the season he was brought in to provide rotation for you know the Europa League and the quite busy campaign that Wolves had this is the year I think he kind of establishes himself as the go-to partner for Raul, I think, up front. I think that, you know, Diego Jota is a, is a wonderful player and, and has his, but I think his, his race is slightly run. I think Podence is a, is a better player. I think that, that he will nail down that starting spot. And he's just such a wonderful player to watch. And I think we saw this early doors in his time at Olympiacos. But equally, when he came into Wolves in the, in the post-lockdown period, you know, those dancing feet were, were absolutely phenomenal on so many occasions. And I think that going into this season, he's ready to, to really kick on. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty hot to trot that he is, he's going to have a very, very good season this year, especially with Wolves having no European competition. You know, they've got, you know, very much a focus this year on the Premier League. They won't have to rotate as much. There's a little bit less of that squad that, you know, need to, need to work. And obviously we've seen Doherty leave, which means that I think Traore 
will probably play a bit more at right wing back, as, as Harry Brooks said when he was on this podcast, um, which probably frees up that slot a little bit more. Uh, and I think Podence will be the man who benefits most from that. Do you think we can get through one podcast ever without mentioning former guest Harry Brooks? No, I don't think so. I was just <laughs> thinking exactly the same when I said it. But uh, last one then, and this is top scorer, which I'm going to lead because why not? Uh, I think that we spoke about this last week, Sam, and you, you pegged Aubameyang to, to win this by five goals. But I'm going to break away from that and I, I'm going to give it to Chelsea new boy Timo Werner, I think the impact that he can have, especially now that Havertz is through the door and a done deal, could be absolutely incredible in terms of goal-scoring productivity. We've seen what he can achieve. We've seen what he has achieved in, in Germany. And you look back now and you think, okay, a lot depends on whether Frank is going to play him in a two up top or he's going to play him off the left in, in those preferred positions or he's going to play him on the shoulder of the nine. I think if he does play off the left, then we have the capacity for a, you know, a very much top scorer in the same way that Aubameyang does, I guess, you know, that cutting inside and, and making those late runs to, to really get the defense stretched and, and find himself in goal scoring positions. But Timo Werner is, is my shout for Premier League top scorer. And I'll throw to Dean next because I know what you're going to do, Sam. Yeah, I'm going to go a bit old school here and say Sergio Aguero. Um, people not really talking about Aguero anymore. And I guess, you know, he had a, an injury at the end of the season and, um, there's not, not been much reason to talk about him, but we can't rule him out of, of being top goal scorer next season. Um, look, if Man City are going to win the league, which is a good chance they will do, then he's, he's going to be up there getting 20 goals. I mean, last season, he only got 16, but he did miss 14 matches um, of the term in the Premier League. So you look beyond that, you know, for the five years before then, he got a minimum of 20. So you've got to imagine that that's his benchmark and it all depends on Man City's success, how many he got on top of that. When you're being fed by Raheem Sterling, Ferran Torres, Riyad Mahrez, De Bruyne, Foden, whoever it's going to be around him next season, and he's taking penalties, he's just going to get there, isn't he? So not being spoken about much right now. I looked at in the, even on the bookies to see how they favoured it. And, you know, they got like Salah and Aubameyang above Aguero. And I just think... You got your mad to rule him out right now. I think that his last season potentially in the Premier League as well could go out of a bang. Hey, oh, Phil Foden, the plug, the facilitator, shall we say? Sam, who have you got? Yeah, Aubameyang. Um, Aubameyang is is clear for me. Shock I mean, I, I mean, yeah, like I just, I think the whole system at Arsenal is is basically built and designed to make a, to let Aubameyang score from the left. Um, so when, assist, when a player of his quality is being given such specific scenarios to take certain types of shots to score goals, and he just does it over and over again, the goals all look the same, but you can't stop them. I back it. I back it. I think Arsenal are going to have a good season, and I think Aubameyang is obviously going to be a massive part of that. Well, I'm intrigued as to where you think Arsenal are going to finish. And so we're going to roll on to our Premier League 20 to 1 after the break, where Sam is ranking every single Premier League team, hopefully not too much to the detriment of Dean and my Fulham. We'll see you after the break. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks. Now we set Sam the arduous task of procuring the Premier League table 20 to 1. Last year, Sam, you managed to avoid this by going on holiday the week where we did it. And so obviously I brought in friends of the pod, Nick Wright and Reese Parkinson to, to come in and, and share their expertise. Um, but this year you haven't got any holiday left. So unfortunately you've, you've got to do the work yourself. Uh, you how hard me? was it? Are, you, hard kid, was are it? you kidding me? I, with lo because of lockdown, I've got nothing but holiday, but I've got nowhere to go. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I, can't, I, look, I, I hated this task, but I didn't hate it enough to book holiday off just to sit at home and not do it. Um, look, it was really difficult. Um, we've got an incomplete transfer window. Uh, we've got a pandemic 
which is in England threatening a second wave, which could tear things apart. Last season was a, an absolute car crash. I did a 1-20 to 20 for, the, for the BR website last year, and it was shocking. It was really bad. But I think everybody's would have been, because what, what the hell was last season? So this season, to be fair, I'm actually probably less sure of any of it, because at least last season I was like, well, Norwich are definitely going to go down. I know that's going to happen. So I put them down. I was, I, I, you know, we'll start at 20, obviously, and we'll start with the relegation zone. I just thought, well, I don't know. But hey, we'll give it a go, shall we? We'll give it a go. Yes. So in, 20, in 20th place is West Bromwich Albion. Um, I guess the, the, a lot of the usual statements apply to this. It's a newly promoted side. They haven't been particularly aggressive in the transfer market. They're living within their means, which is fair enough. The step up in quality to the Premier League is... Is, re- is quite serious. And West Brom, for the most part, as particularly the strikers, I mean, if, you, if you're banking on Callum Robinson and Kenneth Zahor to, to get you out of trouble, I'd be a bit worried about you. I don't know how most of that defensive line steps up outside maybe Semi Ajayi. Um, I do like Diangana as a purchase, and obviously Pereira's really good. But then I also looked at the fixtures, and you know how it gets for newly promoted sides. If you get into a spiral, a bad spiral, Things can go bad quickly and it's hard to recover. And they start with Leicester, Everton, Chelsea, Southampton, Burnley. It's, that's not nice. That's a really horrid, horrid start. And therefore, I decided to put them bottom. I think West Brom last year were consistent rather than excellent. It mm. would be my statement on them in the championship. They limped over the line with you know, sort of other people's results, bailing them out of trouble again and again. And it was really one of those weird things where they, they just sort of fell over the finish line. There was like really little celebration at the time, just relief, I think, from a lot of the West Brom players because they were in such a strong position and they so nearly threw it away. Um, but I remember watching them you know, a couple of times and not being wildly impressed, but them just winning, just getting the job done. I do think that this squad is just not good enough and they don't really have any money. You know, Dean Garner's a lovely player. I'm not gonna, and, and Mateus Pereira is a lovely player. But you know, if you're if you're looking at those as the pure, you know, creative sparks of your whole side, and and like you say, the the strike force isn't gonna inspire too much, you know, joy in anyone. I don't think, even including West Brom fans. Mm. And you did forget Big Charlie Austin though, making his Premier League swan song. And um, but but even still, you know, you're looking at a side that I think is basically not going to be strong enough and and ultimately i think this is a fair shout if i'm honest yeah yeah i looked at the last four games of the championship season they didn't win any of them and as you say they limp they, they got promoted because brentford couldn't do the job neither of them could really do the job and they couldn't take advantage of that momentum they just couldn't do that final step now there's something to be said for just consistently winning when not playing too well or just automatically winning but it's little bits little bits little little parts of the season that sometimes showcase the good and the bad of a, of a team's mentality and I think at the very end there, we got a little hint for West Brom. So I think the main thing here is the step up in quality. And I'm sorry, boys, but I've also put Fulham in 19th for pretty much the same reason. Um, I, I, know it's, I know you're coming up in a, in a better shape than last time because you haven't had to buy a, literally a whole new team. And I haven't done this despite you. But again, it's that, it's that step up. It's that step up. Um, and whether or not the team is more settled this year, I don't know if the on-paper quality quite, quite stacks up. Um, I'm happy for you to you boys to, to state the case and correct me. Um, but yeah, that's where I am with it. I, I think we've, we're in a better place than West Brom are, if I'm honest. I think that mm-hmm. Anguisa coming back is a huge plus for us. If we, if we can hold on to him, it looks like we very much are holding on to him at this point. Uh, Harrison Reed signing on a permanent deal is is good news. There's so many question marks over the likes of Mario Lamina. If, if Mario Lamina turns up and is the player that he can be on his day, 
then that can be a that's a difference maker. You know, you've yeah. seen it. You, you you work for Southampton. You've seen Mario Lamina at his very best. You've also seen him at his very worst, where he doesn't look interested, doesn't want to play, doesn't want to work hard. And and in a relegation scrap, I'm not 100% sure that's the mentality you need. But if he's got points to prove, and you know, he is very much alone. If Fulham stay up. It's, it's a loan to buy. If he enjoys himself and, and wants to stay, then then it looks like something that, that might turn out in a good run. Fulham have a history of seeing players from other clubs who haven't quite cut the mustard and turning them around into, into players that have done it at Fulham. I think there are signings to come. It, it yeah. looks quite heavily like this week, Fulham are going to pick up three or four. Um, there's a lot of movement. Kenny Tete from Leon's Olaine is almost done by the looks of things. There's a big rumor about Alfonso Areola from from PSG coming in, which I think would be a good competition for a good young goalkeeper in in Marek Rodak. Although I think he will expect to start, and it, it puts a, a dilemma on Scott Parker's shoulders. But on the whole, I think more needs to be done before mm. I could. You know, I think Fulham will stay up by the skin of their teeth. Is where I'd have them. I'd have how, them. How many, how many right backs are you planning on buying? Two, two. To add to your current selection of two. Well, right, one okay. and a half. Is Dennis Adoy the half or is it Cyrus Yeah, Dennis Adoy is the half because he plays everywhere. Okay, cool. Um, okay. I think Cyrus yeah. Christie will probably leave. But Yeah, okay, fair enough. I mean, so the, the theme through this is that there is there is more business to be done for everybody. And, you know, we could look back at this in a couple of weeks and go, well, hang on. Because in the last 24 hours, as, we've, as we know, Newcastle have dramatically changed their own circumstances. So we'll see where it goes. In 18th, and we'll go, I'll, I'll, I'll explain 18th and we'll kind of whiz through the others. I weighed up Villa, Palace and Brighton for about 10 minutes decided it would be silly to predict a Roy Hodgson team to be relegated. So I decided to put Palace in 17th. And I ended up with Brighton in 18th and Villa in 16th. And I think they've all got the same problem in that I don't really know, I don't really trust them to score that many goals. But with Palace, I trust Hodgson. With Villa, I trust the mentality of the team and their ability to pass tests we didn't really think they were capable of, the promotion challenge, and then whatever happened at the end of last season to get eight points from four games and beat Arsenal to stay up. No clue. And with Grealish, I think they've always got something. And again, with them, probably more business to come. And I ended up with Brighton in 18th, kind of reluctantly, because I do actually like most of the team. Um, But I wonder if they're a little bit flat and a little bit kind and I don't know where the goals are outside of Morpé, who actually isn't that prolific anyway. But on another day, I could probably be convinced to reorder those three. I think they're in a little pocket for themselves. Yeah, I mean, I would... I don't know. I, I think I said on last week that I don't trust Leeds. I think that for the, the three that have just come up to survive is going to be so, so difficult. Like It wouldn't surprise me if all three did go back down. Um, I think I know every season you look at it. I think last season Jack actually predicted all three would stay up, and I remember being like, "No, even when you have a good start, like it's so hard to maintain this over the course of a Premier League season." And you know, you see some of the schedule that's going to be coming up uh, because the season's starting later and whatnot, and the, the way they're going to squeeze games in. You know, there'll be injuries that crop up as a result of you know no real pre-season and things like that. It's going to, it is actually a really really hard season to predict, but. Um, I would actually throw West Ham into the mix, to be honest. I think West Ham are in complete disarray. Um, the players are not happy at all behind the scenes because of decisions that are being made um, with, with player sales. And it goes beyond that, to be honest. I mean, West Ham are, are really struggling financially because of the effects of COVID. You know, 
more than many clubs, you know, they've got that huge stadium and they, they rely heavily on that place being full to make money and they haven't had that for a long time now. So West Ham, you know, do look out for them struggling and, and actually try to offload some players. I think Declan Rice might even end up leaving West Ham before the, the window closes. And if that happens, you really do have to consider them um, as contenders to go down. So I can understand all, all of Sam's thinking there and I can see why he put Brighton into the into the mix as well because of, you know, they were the lowest scorers outside of the bottom two, I think, last season. And maybe Palace were down there as well. But um, yeah, I think Palace, you always give Hodgson the benefit of the doubt. And he's he's got a player like Zaha that could actually just shape his season if he has 10 amazing games. So hmm. um, I, would, I would still say that... I think Leeds will finish in that third place. And if, if if the highest I see Leeds finishing is 17th, so I'd have to throw them down there. Where have you got Leeds, Sam? Well, hang on. So I'll just recap for, for the for the listeners' convenience. So I've gone West Brom 20, Fulham 19, Brighton 18, Palace 17, Villa 16. And I, I do, have... I sorry, do think, sorry, that uh, that those five plus, plus uh, West Ham and Leeds are going to be the bottom seven. So and, I have and I West Ham next. I have, okay. I have West Ham next. Uh, so, but I think uh, you look at that and you think, okay, that's a, that's a mini league in itself there. I, yeah. I think the everyone else has probably a bit too much to be dragged into that. You know, I've seen people, I saw a couple of people this week putting Southampton in the mix, which I think is madness. I saw a couple of people saying that Sheffield United might have a, a tri- tricky second season. I think that's madness. Not that they will necessarily finish, you know, the, the heights that they did last year, but I think they're way too good to be in this mix. But well, those seven as a mini league. Power. But those seven as a mini league, mm. I think, is very much the way forward. And just, Dean, you just said that, you know, I did predict all three promoted clubs to stay out. Two of the three did. That wasn't that bad a shout. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wasn't bad. Two out of three is not bad. You got As Meatloaf that. once famously said. Well, Villa was by the skin of their teeth. I'm barely giving you that one. I mean, it's, did they or did they not survive? You got, you got, you got, this is a black and white issue. All right, Jack, go, on, Jack, go on to West Ham anyway. So West Ham are next. Um, the first draft I did had them in the bottom three. And it's for basically everything, every reason that Dean said. But in the end, I just thought there was probably too much quality in that squad at key points to really get suckered in and go down. Because Antonio, apparently the new Ronaldo, original. Declan Rice, Fabianski. Suchek, the new Fellaini. Like, I just... Like, no matter what the chaos scenario is that befalls West Ham this season, and there will be one or two, I think they'll have enough in quality to be okay. And then up again, I have Newcastle, who are basically... I don't know how they survived last season, to be honest. I thought it was the luckiest campaign I think I've ever seen. I've no idea how they won so many games. But at the very least, they've realised that. And picking up Wilson and Fraser and Jeff Hendrick, who's the most Steve Bruce player in history. And we're looking at reports of Jamal Lewis coming in to, to shore up left back, which is badly needed. I think the recruitment has put them in a good spot. And then I've got Leeds. So let's talk Bielsa hype train because that would make their 12th, 13th, 13th. Now, I am the conductor of the Marcelo Bielsa hype train, uh, the captain uh, on board your carriage today. And Jack, if you'd like to be the train guard. Yeah, I will be. Yeah, no uh, you can go around and check people's tickets. I think you'll find if Dean's stashed away on board, he doesn't have a ticket because he'd never, he'd never. No, I one. think you're running over me with this train, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Yeah. If you're looking for Dean Jones, you will not find him here. He's been strapped to the, the tracks a hundred <laughs> meters ahead. I mean, look, we've already talked about Leeds and Bielsa. I, I think that the momentum that they'll have to start the season will be really strong. And I think they'll be tactically quirky enough so that enough teams will will fall foul of them in the first six months. And I think they'll be okay. So I've got them in 13th. So the, the Leeds issue is like directly pitting me against Dean for the, for the campaign. It's going to be a hell of a watch. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, going to enjoy kind of refereeing it. I, I'm on your side. I have Leeds about 15th. I think they'll be 10th at Christmas. And then I think they will fall away reasonably. I was talking to a Leeds fan the other day, and he was like, the, there's a myth that Bielsa's sides fall away in the second half of the season. I was like, it's, it's not a myth. It's not a myth. It's, 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 a what's, myth. it's what happened in almost every Bielsa campaign since the beginning of time, apart from last year, where he got a big break in the middle of it to, to <laughs> recharge the batteries. Like, it's happened in almost every Bielsa campaign ever. Um, but it was, it's an interesting one because... I think that they will start. They've got a horrible start, obviously, away to Liverpool. Um, but they, I, I think by Christmas, they'll have found their groove and be 10th. I think there'll be kind of these murmurs that Leeds might get into Europe and then they will fall away quite hard in March, April. But the time, they're already safe. Um, I would say, suggest that they are. They will top that mini-league, I was just suggesting, and they will finish 15th. Would be my yeah, I mean, their help. I, th- I do think they'll get a battering on the first day, um, but they are helped by the fact they then week two have Fulham at home. And I mean, <laughs> me and Jack have seen this too many times. Like when teams are desperate for a win to just like rejuvenate confidence or like they, they, there will always be a team like, oh, they haven't won an away game since 1962. Their next one is Fulham. There yeah, it is. Yeah. It was, yeah, it's, yeah, it's the it's classic sound. It's the Sunderlanding, isn't it? They hadn't won a game at the Stadium of Light for 364 days. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, and yeah. Fulham came to town. The back leads for week two. <laughs> and it will be, it will be like whoever scores against you, it will be their first goal for eight years. Yeah, or something like that. Time, like. yeah exactly. <laughs> so, okay, right. Into 12, I've got the Blades, Sheffield United, which would be a drop of four. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty solid season. I think there'll be some teams that adapt to them and handle them better. It will be very hard to sustain a kind of top 10 momentum into a second season, but 12th, pretty. I mean, I think Sheffield United fans will probably bite your hand off at that uh, in terms of steady progression. This bit's a bit boring, so I'll skip through it. Burnley at 11. They haven't made a signing yet, but they do it every season. They defy expected goals. They do something. I don't know what it is, and they stay up. To be they haven't fair, got Jeff Hendrick this year, to be fair to them. They haven't, but to be, be fair, they do, they do have England's best goalkeeper, uh, James Tarkovsky, a battering ram strike force of Wooden Barnes, which no one can handle still. And Dwight yeah. McNeil is really good. So they have enough quality spots uh, uh, like throughout the side to be okay. And you know Burnley are going to be fine. Yeah. I made the mistake last year of, put, of putting them to go down. I thought that eventually XG will catch up to them. But Sean Dyche is... He's like he's got he's like he's got the philosopher's stone or something. Yeah, he's, the, he's like a wizard. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Anyway, it helps by the fact he doesn't know what XG is, so it doesn't affect it. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very good. So into ten. This is where it gets interesting. I've gone for Everton, and I think tenth would be a disappointment to their maybe their fan base, but definitely their owner who seems to be very, very ambitious. And obviously with Hamas Rodriguez, Alan, and probably Ducore coming in, you might expect a bit more. Uh, but I think what they're going to realise this season is actually the top six are, are, are quite far ahead of them at the moment. And if they can claw some of that distance back, great. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to come all at once. And there's a little mini league here again of Everton, Saints and Leicester. And that's the order I've got them in. Everton 10, Saints 9, Leicester 8. I think those three are again in their own little league as to who can do better and who can be the best of the rest, so to speak. Uh, as opposed to Wolves. You don't have Wolves in that league. I think Wolves are a, a better side than all of those. And without Europa League, I think they'll finish higher up. Okay. Um, I, I think I'd have Everton above Saints, if I'm honest. Um, and I, I know what you're saying with Saints. And I do think, and obviously we talked about them in, in the surprise packages section a couple of weeks ago. But I don't 
think they're better than this Everton side under Ancelotti. Um, mm-hmm. I like Hassan Hootel a lot. I like what Southampton are doing a lot. But I'm really intrigued as to how this plays out. Is he going to play Allen and Decore as a midfield two with James wide? Uh, which I think is potentially what he's going to do because could he likes be, the two up be, top. It could be James in the 10 and Richarlison wide. Yeah, as a wide as a wide forward. I mean, I don't. I'm also super intrigued as to what happens. But at the very least, can we agree that Carlo has now? I mean, to be fair, to, like last season, what he actually did was kind of sacrilege. He was he decided that on the formation that he wanted, which was four four two, despite the fact that he didn't have the players for it, just played it anyway yeah. for like twenty games. He played Andre Gomez and Sigurdsson as a midfield two. Are you kidding me? That would get anyone else fired. So at least now you can't bought... get fired when you're with your King Carlo. Uh, exactly. So he was all he's been all right. He's actually he's actually bought the midfield he needs. But like we there's still a lot of work to do to get this going. Um, on paper it looks very good now, but we need to we need to see it play out. Um, yeah. Unless they're in eighth, there's a Europa League schedule, but they do have the good depth. Um, my worry here is mostly about how you know when things start to go a little bit wrong for Brendan Rodgers and he can't seem to recover. Um, I wonder. I wonder if it's gone a little bit wrong and they actually stop looking upwards and maybe start looking downwards a bit. I, I don't know. Maybe I've been too harsh. Maybe I just can't get over the fact that Ricardo Pereira is absent and uh, I couldn't possibly support a, a successful side. Well, I mean, James Justin is there to drop in in that right back spot and Timothy Castagna's in from Atalanta. So it is one of those things where I think now they have the depth, they have that ability. I mean, Justin can play both sides, which is useful. So can Castagna. Um, it allows them a little bit more freedom in the fullback spots I was a bit worried when Ben Chilwell went as to who they were going to replace him with because that's quite a, a, a big presence in the side that that's taken away but I think Castagna will fill that gap and, and the rest of the side is almost the same it's a good side with a lot of depth we've talked about the fact that you know the likes of Dennis Pratt and that have, have been red-shirted if you will and and are now more than happy and I think we'll, we'll as they play this Europa League campaign out we'll be able to drop in and and become key players for this side in a rotation I, I think Leicester are ooh, I think this is a bit harsh I'd maybe have them at seventh and, and a Europa League semi okay I mean I'm all on board with the, the Europa League progress but I, I wonder about the balance because I, I think they can go deep in the Europa League and that does that does hurt them in the league look at Wolves so that's where I'd go with it. But again, I think top of this mini league. So to recap, Everton 10, Saints 9, Leicester 8. And we move into 7th. Where you have Wolverhampton Wanderers. Where I have Spurs. Ooh. Ooh. So on paper, they're better than Wolves and Arsenal, probably, to be honest with you, who I have obviously ranked above them. What really scares me is this schedule of Spurs. I'm just, I can't get over how many games they're going to have to play. Uh, yeah. Have you seen? Have you seen the September schedule? They yeah, play it's seven. It's a madness. They play I'll seven games. They play seven games in September, and the first one is on the thirteenth. This is insane. And obviously, once the Europa League qualifiers are done, it starts to lessen out a little bit. But they still have to play Carabao Cup, FA Cup, and probably a Europa League group stage campaign in a truncated season with one striker. I know Son can move, can can fill in. I know there's t- there's time to go. But right now, I'm just I'm very I, I, I'm very concerned about the sheer fatigue that these players are going to go through. And I think it's going to have a knock-on effect in the league. I don't think it's anyone's fault. I personally think they should have been allowed to withdraw from the Carabao Cup because it's just not physically well, okay to just, have to play, to play all these games. And they just play the 18s. I they mean, should throw that game. They yeah, should throw that game. Because yeah, may, maybe. In maybe. the team of their season, it's unimportant. And when you... I've just watched the um, the episode actually of All or Nothing on, on Amazon of when Harry Kane gets his hamstring injury and he, he's sat there complaining about the Christmas schedule. And he's like, the only reason I've got this injury is because of this ridiculous schedule where they're making us play every two days or whatever. And um, they're, they're talking about it. And, you know, 
Tottenham had a, a big injury pile up at that point, actually, of, of the season last year. I think they talk about six or seven, I think, being out at that time. And, you know, they haven't added much depth since then in terms of like the starting 11 of players you could actually depend on, like you say. And well, if Harry Kane suffered another setback, then you are struggling big time, aren't you? Actually, I mean, they've arguably lessened their squad depth. You know, Ollie Skip's gone out on loan. Troy Parrott's gone out on loan. You're, and, and brilliant for both of those players who, who needed loan moves and need first-team football to, to really start to fulfil their potential. But it leaves the squad even lighter than it was last year. And I, I do think they need four or five through the door. I mean, they've got Hoiberg and they've got Doherty. No, I think they need four or five more. Yeah, the and, they're, and they're very good signings, but we need, we need to see... We need to see a left back. Uh, we need to see a striker. We could do. I said, why am I saying we? I don't support Spurs. I want to see a, <laughs> I want to see a striker and um, another body for the attacking midfield rotation as well, and arguably a centre back as well. Like they are, you are right. They are short. They are short some players, and that's why they're in seventh. It's not on a talent perspective, because I think they're a top six or a top five even for for talent. But I'm just worried about that schedule. Okay, who got a six? So this is where Wolves come in. So I think this is, a, this is a serious squad. And with the schedule clear up, no Europa League, I think they, as you said earlier on in the podcast, they can focus on what they need to do in the league. And I back them to finish sixth with, 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 with fewer games and just about as much quality, maybe slightly less. I like this. I mean, Wolves are a legitimately excellent side. And they are well, made a thirty-five million pound sign-in, Fabio Silva. So I'm hugely into this, by the way. I, I'm. I know that it's some of one of those things that's not necessarily. It's not been greeted with universal acclaim, shall well, we say? Most people have no idea who he is. Yeah, but it's one of those things where a lot of people were like, "Hang on, you've just paid thirty-five million pounds for a player that scored three goals in ten appearances for Porto." But I do think that. That is slightly unfair. You know, I think Sam will tell you that we watched that Porto team in, in the Europa Youth in the Youth League in, in, in 2019, and he absolutely tore the place apart. He was on fire. And look, it doesn't always translate from youth levels to senior levels, but I think he has the movement and the kind of penalty box instincts to take him right to the top. I'm really, really hot on Fabio Silva. And yes, they've overpaid. Of course they have. Like, it's a lot of money. And the fact that Porto are in financial difficulties and he's a George Men's client has not gone under the radar. It's very obvious what's happening here. Yet, I'm, I'm quite hot on this as a signing. I mean, well, look, it's too much money, as you say, Dean. But the talent, the, the, the potential in that boy is, is very clear to those that have watched yeah. him. What is very difficult to, to understand is just the hot, just the hot, just just the fee for a player with that track record. But if you've not seen him, then you wouldn't you wouldn't know. It's still too much money, obviously. But we do, we know that there's something else at play here. This is not simply a football transfer. So it's probably it's unfair. To, yeah. to, to judge it in those terms. They don't typically spend that much, you know, even when they've signed, you know, they, they've signed some big players like Neves and, and Jota and these guys, when they came in, they, you know, Matinho, they were big signings at the time, but they weren't that kind of level. And I think the only problem I've got with a £35 million signing of that is the expectation that comes with it. Because mm. when you're Wolves, you can't pay £35 million for a sub, can you? So he's, is he playing? Like, is he going to play straight away? He like, won't. He's 17. But I think you can do that with a 17-year-old. You can, you can pay that money. You look at... Well, he's, 18 now. he's 18 now. He's 18 now. 
it's not the it's not quite the age. You look at what Real Madrid did with, with Rodrigo and with Vinicius, and I know it's Real Madrid, so it's slightly different. But the the same kind of principle applies. I think you can buy these players at a premium because of how good they're going to be, as opposed to how good they are right at the time. And and ultimately, he has a, a season now. I think before Raúl Jiménez leaves, because I think Raúl will pr- probably leave after one more year at Wolves. I think he will give them one more season, and then he will be poached by a, a top tier side. And I think that given that Fabio Silva's record, this is a really sensible bit of business in that next year they have a a ready-made replacement ready to go in that slot who will have got games and minutes this year as kind of Raul's understudy. And especially given, you know, the cup competitions and all of these things, he'll be given the chance to shine and get used to and assimilated with the club. I, I think it's a good bit of business. I think if you if you if you're buying into potential, there's clear potential. So I don't also, really have, I don't have an issue with that at all. They're about to sign Alex Tellish by the looks of things, um, mm. which I tweeted last night. By my count, would mean they would have 17 Portuguese speakers in a squad of 25 alongside a Portuguese manager and an all Portuguese speaking coaching staff, which is absolutely unbelievable. It's just like it's, it's unheard of. <laughs> And not one of them can understand a word Connor Cody says. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I mean, that's going to be something, again, this is about Porto's FFP issues. It's about the relationship that George Mendes has with both clubs. But I think Ruben Vinagre will potentially go the other way. And what Porto will do is pay a fee for him and, and that will ease Wolves as well. It's, it's all like quantitative easing, isn't it? It's, it's basically what Pjanic and Arthur was for, for Juventus and Barcelona. A lot of these things you have to take with a pinch of salt in terms of what they actually cost. Yeah, I'd be interested to see in, if in 10 years' time we go back on these uh, go back on these transfers and we remember the context with which they're done. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know if we will on some of them. But for, just, just to briefly rack, rack, rack off uh, Wolves, Tellez is brilliant. And if they sign him, then very well done. And it only, Put him in your only, fantasy team if yeah, they put, sign him. Put him in your fantasy team and it only strengthens the predictions for Wolves in six. But we move to the top five. And I've been saying the whole podcast that I'm big on Arsenal this year. And this is where they land in fifth. Uh, so up three spots, because obviously last season was eighth, a bit disappointing. But covered it off in the intro and last week, but I'm big on Arteta. I'm big on Aubameyang scoring tons of goals. I'm big on the new defensive solidity led by Gabriel, but Saliba, given time, I think will could be one of the best defenders in the world. He's certainly one of the best under-21 defenders I've seen play. And I also really like the capture of Willian, because if Arteta is going to rotate his formations and shapes and systems a lot, and he's going to be quite tactically specific... Willian is about as intelligent a forward and attacker as you can find. Like he, he, will, he will do anything you ask him to do and he will understand all of your instructions very clearly. And I think he can play as the 10 on the left or the right and he can attack both ways. I think this is actually, I've really come around to this signing as I thought about it more and more. And if Arteta wants to be flexible, he needs to have players like, like Willian and like Bukayo Saka as well, who continues to rise through the ranks and, and impress. And yeah, Arsenal, fifth. God. Yeah. No, I'm, I am. I'm weirdly hot on this as well. Uh, I, I, I like this side. It's, it's, not, it's not hard to see that I like this side. There are, there are plenty of players in it who I think the world of. And Ceballos being back at the club, you know, the heartbeat of that. And, and like you say, Sam, there's so much versatility now in this squad. There's the ability to change. I still think they potentially want one centre mid through the door. Mm. Um, but on the whole, this is a squad that looks ready to compete on a couple of different fronts. And, uh, um, yeah, I, I just think it's nice. And uh, there will, you know, the fact that 
Saka is coming through. And you even look to the youth that played a bit last year. You look at uh, Reese Nelson and Willock and, and all of those players. And the fact that Smith Rowe is back at the club and doesn't look like he's necessarily going anywhere. The fact that they're then playing in the Europa League and going to give these players a shot. And the last time we saw Arsenal give the youth a shot in the Europa League, it all fell a bit apart. Whereas this time, I think that there might be a bit more of those players starting to hit their full potential, starting to hit their, their real peaks for the club. And, and, and that being a good thing in terms of allowing those players to rotate and, and keeping them happy in the squad. Arteta's got a hell of a job in, in keeping everyone happy, especially those players who performed last year and have now been maybe outed by bigger signings or, or, or players that have come into their own. And I, I think given the fact that all of those players are now able to rotate into the Europa League, into the cup competitions, there might be something quite nice here for Arsenal. Yeah, I like the fact that, you know, we, we spoke about this at the time, but somebody like Gwen Doozy was being lauded in the first you know, the, towards the end of last calendar year and maybe even the beginning of this one as like, you know, one of Arsenal's best players. We were like, well, he's not actually that good. Like, no. he's not doing a lot here. He's just being a reasonably trustworthy midfielder. He runs and around I, a lot, doesn't he? Yeah, he just, had, he just hadn't seen anyone that could really do that at Arsenal for a few years. And, and our centre came and he was like, yeah, you're not that good. You're, you're going. And especially, you know, he's got an attitude problem as well. So he didn't stand for it. And, you know, he, he's trying to sign Thomas Partey. And if he gets that done, then you're definitely looking at top five. You know, that that's a massive deal if they can get that over the line. You've got players in that squad that you can cut without, like, damaging your squad size for the Europa League campaign. There are players there that they can sell and raise the money for Thomas Partey if they really want to. Like, one of Rob Holding or Skodron Mustafi, or maybe even both, can go. Ganduzi can probably fetch 15, 20 million to the right buyer. I'll just I'll echo the thoughts on Ganduzi to finish off Arsenal. Like, I never really got it. I think it's because he has big hair and because he always um, offers to receive the ball under pressure. And fans in the stadium really, they really subscribe to that and they really they identify that. Like, oh, he's a brave kid. He's a brave kid. He always wants to get on the ball. He's fearless. But, you know, the other bits of the game didn't really come through. But Arsenal, it sounds like we're all big on. So I'm going to move into four. And I'm going to go for Man United in fourth. So they really need to sign some players. But the 11 that they do have is seriously, seriously good. And this this prediction is made with a little bit of faith that in a couple of weeks' time, we might see a couple new faces in in at United. Maybe a left-back, maybe a centre-back, maybe a number six, maybe Jadon Sancho. They probably need all four of those to really achieve their goals. I don't think they're going to get all four but I think they'll probably get enough and probably have enough to sustain a top four challenge and probably end up finishing fourth. We can't, we can't ignore how good they've been this calendar year and what an impact Bruno Fernandes has made and, and, and how good he's been and, and how well Pogba's settled into a, a slightly different role alongside him. And even if they don't sign all the players they need, they'll still be fifth minimum. So I, I decided to go for fourth because I reckon they've got a couple more in them. Yeah, if Regulon comes in, I think that's a lovely bit of business, mm. if I'm honest. I think that's almost what they've been crying out for, someone to do that that work down the left-hand side that can be a bit more reliable than Luke Shaw. And, and we spoke before about how Luke Shaw was so crucial to the way they played after after lockdown and his injury basically restricts them so much because Brandon Williams is right-footed and basically should be playing at right-back if he's going to be playing anywhere because it allows them to stretch the play a little bit more. So it's intriguing to see what they do now. I think you're absolutely right. They need a six, a left-back, a centre-back and probably someone to strengthen the forward line. Even if that's not Jadon Sancho, they need someone to come in there and and, and make a difference. And I think that... There's a lot of pressure on it to be Sancho, so I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't envy whoever it does happen to be if if they don't get Sancho over the line. But 
you know, there's there's plenty to work with here, and I think they're they're on the up, aren't they? Both both United and Arsenal are, are moving in the right direction that their fan bases would want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I that consistency as well, though, with United, isn't it? You know, there was a, there was a spell uh, where they looked unbelievable, wasn't there? Um, and then after the restart, they started to fade a bit and were in and out, and there was a back. It was back towards the end, being a bit boring to watch again and a bit predictable. So. Um, I, just, I think they ran out of gas, mate. I think they were just gas. tired. They had 11 players and that was it. Yeah. So that Europa that League campaign... wasn't the same player, was he, towards the end? No, not at all. But I remember like, even in the post-lockdown bit, I mean, there was a game against Bournemouth. I think they ended up winning 5-1 or 5-2. Where, like, we take oh, this yeah. phrase a lot, but like, yeah. that could easily have been like 10 or 12. Like, they battered them. They looked scary good. Yeah. And if they can recapture that just by not tiring everybody out, like, they're, they're, they're a ferocious side. Got to feel sorry a little bit for Marcus Rashford because it must be like tiring having to one not only like do your job as a footballer but to run the country at the same time because like all the politicians are inept. So um, so you know, shouts out to Marcus Rashford who seems to be the only person who's doing anything with a bit of a conscience these days. What a guy! And he also man. has time, of course, to do the intro to our pod every that week. That is true. Well. That is true. He records Absolutely. us a fresh one every week as well. It's impressive. Mm-hmm. Impressive. Exactly. Right. Does that leave the top three, Sam? Shall we move into them? It does, yeah, and it leaves us in third with Chelsea. Um, oh, I thought you were going to say Liverpool. Mm, sorry, buddy, not going to oh. do that. I mean, just I just it would have been bold. Glance, just a little glance at the Premier League table here, just for some context on this Chelsea summer, which has been incredible, absolutely incredible. And if they pick up a goalkeeper, then it would have been a near perfect summer, like a proper A grade. It's been so so good. But you've all heard about that all summer long, so you don't need me to tell you about that. I'll add some balance to the conversation. If we're talking title challenge for Chelsea, and I don't think Chelsea fans are, but I think other fan bases are going, well, you spent 200 million, you know, you, know, you, should, you should be up there. 66 points last season, same as United. Title winner, 99. Season before that, what was it, 98? And the season before that was 100. 100. So you're gonna get, you need to get 33% better in terms of a points tally to be challenging for a title probably because the last three title winners have got like 98 points or more. Chelsea, for all the good work they've done this summer, are not there yet. And it's totally fine. Part of that is the fact that Frank Lampard is not Guardiola or Klopp. Part of it is because they need some time to bed these players in. Part of it is because Kepa looks like a school child trying to direct traffic in a box full of giants. All these things will eventually work themselves out. It just won't happen this year. So I go Chelsea third. And I would just implore everyone to not... Do you think there will be a title challenge? Do you no. think that you think they'll be so far off the pace by Christmas that it's done? I don't think Chelsea are going to be within 10 points of Man City or Liverpool. So I At don't Christmas think I, or in general? In general. So I don't, okay. think that's a, I don't think that's a title challenge. I think the title challenge takes place between the same two as we have for the It's interesting because Chelsea do expect Lampard to seriously challenge that top two now. Like I've, I've spoken to a couple of people recently who, you know, around the training ground and, you know, not just fixing the boilers, but actually out on the training pitch. And they, um, they know what the expectations are of this, of this Chelsea squad next season. And, you know, Lampard's being told that, well, you know, it's not all he's doing, this money that's been spent. You know, it's not just his idea to go out and get all of these players, particularly Havertz. You know, that was quite driven by the board. But now that they are all here, Chelsea haven't done that just to finish top four. Like, they want to be competing straight away with Liverpool, with City. They've almost spent this much money to accelerate the pursuit of of top spot, kind of like Liverpool did that year when they bought Alisson and Van Dijk and Cater and Fabinho, Fabinho all, yeah. all, all very quickly. And it, it, caught, it helped them catch Man City a lot quicker than they otherwise would have. And I think that that's part of Chelsea's thinking right now. They're in such a strong financial position. They're like, right, let's just do everything we can to close the gap. But 
Lampard's got a completely different task to what last year. Last year he had, as we said, a free hit. Um, he's just got kids that he's bedding in. There's no pressure on them. Every time something went well, he was lauded. If things went badly, it was like, don't worry about it. Like this time around, it's not going to be like that. Lampard has to somehow, one, keep all these players happy and two, achieve results at the same time. It's, it's a completely different job for him now. I do think, though, that Sam's just said that 10 points off the top two, that would, if we're counting other things, mean that Chelsea have gained 20 points on last yeah, season, I think that that's which fair. I think, I think is that's... probably okay. And also, I think that maybe that is... I, I would say, Sam, that within 10 points is probably a title challenge. Even if you, if you finish 10 points off, that means you've been within touching distance for like 70% of the season, which I think puts you in the race. As far yeah, as maybe. I'm concerned, oh, like, yeah. that's the kind of thing that you would, I would count Still as in the, Yeah, they're very much in the race. You know, the, the title race didn't end really until sort of March, I think, last year. You know, it looked like Liverpool was starting to streak ahead. But once that reached sort of 18, 19 points, you were like, well, obviously it's done now. But it was, it was only at that point that it was really like, there is no race anymore. It's over. It's finished. So sure. I would say that to being within 10 points would put Chelsea in the hunt. I think you're probably right. And just to, just to draw a, another parallel, obviously Dortmund were in the title race for most of last season, but they finished about 10 points off because at the end, it just kind of got away yeah. from them and it was it was Bayern Munich won it. But they were in the title race until, yeah, June, basically June, wasn't it? Which so, is a weird, so, weird thing to say in itself. I know, I started to say February, but it turns out it was June. Um, yeah, so you're probably right there. So progress for Chelsea. I think they'll be an extremely exciting watch, um, but I think they have their drawbacks and I don't think they are quite closing that ridiculous gap to the top two just yet. I worry for Lampard if closing that gap by, say, 15 to 20 points isn't deemed enough because that would be a, a heroic effort, in my opinion. But here we are. The top two are the top two, aren't they? I've gone for Man City to win the title and I've gone for Liverpool to fall to second. Um, I think City, the, the driving force here is, and we, we've talked about, I, I tipped them to win the title in my big predictions last week. But to recap the top lines off that, like the, the main thing driving this for me is Liverpool. I think that there's potentially an element of mission complete. And if there's a 5% drop there, that is enough for a team, an opposing team like City, who are well capable of scoring 100 points to take advantage and City themselves are I would always fear a wounded animal led by Pep Guardiola and last season's result of just basically winning the Carabao Cup it's not enough and they're responding with big purchases spending and a serious mentality and I think City are going to have more of a drive and I think they'll have the squad depth and the hunger to win this title and obviously the quality as well the you know Dean's pick for top scorer one of the best centre-backs in the league, potentially the best centre-back tandem in the league if they sign Koulibaly. All these things working in their favour. So I'll, I'll go for City for that and the wounded animal territory with Liverpool dropping to second. Uh, I was going to throw this to Dean just in terms of signings. We've seen City come out of the blocks quickly in terms of who they've picked up, DJ. Um, and Liverpool, quiet, as, as per, I suppose, is there, as, as per normal now. But they, they signed Costa Simicas who looks finally they have some backup for Andy Robertson, which is good. And I'm sure that that will, that will help Andy Robertson to stay at, at top form more, more than anything else. But in terms of, of City and, and Liverpool and, and what looking forward, Dean, is there, is there any news coming out of either camp? Not really, no. I mean, Liverpool's still deeply con not concerned in the sense that they don't want to, they don't know what the future is like anybody else. And they just seem more apprehensive about spending than their rivals, basically. I mean, I guess they'll, they're looking at, well, we're already ahead of them. We've, maybe we've got a bit of gap, but you look behind you, you know, the strength in that Chelsea's done is just incredible. Um, and in City, you know, 
they've already added a couple and Kula Bali would just be a game changer for them because he, he just adds that that trust at the back that you just haven't got right now. Um, at Liverpool, they need to sign somebody. And I've said before that, that Jurgen Klopp's been very accepting of, of things that have happened in terms of the transfer market. And, you know, even Werner, who he really wanted in the club and wasn't that expensive and ended up joining a rival. Yeah, he didn't kick up a big fuss about that. He was he was okay about it, but he could really have done with him. And I think he's going to regret not signing him when he does really well at Chelsea this season. But now that you've moved that on to Thiago being the next target, 30 million euros. Yeah, that's expensive in the sense that, yeah, okay, he becomes a free agent in the new year. But in the scheme of things, that this is what Jurgen Klopp feels is necessary. If if this is what he wants to push the rest of his squad to keep them driven, keep them alive, keep them achieving, striving for success, make become the best team in Europe and remain there. If that's what he feels is necessary, it only costs 30 million euros. I kind of feel that you have to trust Jürgen at this point. And to not do so, if they don't sign Thiago, I just wonder if we might start to see the first signs of, of Jürgen Klopp becoming really frustrated. Whether he does that publicly, I don't know, but I am hearing that he is really, really driven to get this deal done. And if Thiago ends up joining Barcelona or something in January, then I just think that that's a real miss on Liverpool's behalf. It starts to give, again, a club like Barcelona a chance to start to catch up with you on the European front. So I still think that Man City, like we said last week, are, are the team to be. I still, even though they're not the reigning champions, I still make them favourites to win the league this season. I think just on just on the Thiago Klopp thing, if the Liverpool board can't bring themselves to uh, spend thirty million on a new player because they can't they can't justify it as an expense, consider it a contract extension for Jurgen Klopp because at this point he's actually their most valuable asset. And I know that they have some incredible players, but imagine how the the the, the feeling around this team if Jurgen Klopp were to God forbid for them decide to call it a day because he's frustrated like the energy that would suck out of that team in that city. He is, he is the prize jewel in the same way that Pochettino was for Spurs during their brilliant reign, a brilliant time over the last four or five years. They need, to, they need to buy Thiago simply to keep Klopp happy, in my opinion. It doesn't even matter anymore. It's about, it's about giving him one nugget because I'd be annoyed if I was him too. Yeah, I think this is it. It's not, yeah, it's not about whether Thiago fits or all of these things. We've, we've spoken at length about all of these different details and, and whether Thiago is, is the man for Liverpool. But at the end of the day, it just doesn't matter. If, if that's what Klopp wants, give him what he wants. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, the last thing you want is a disenfranchised manager leading a team, as you say, Sam, who feel a little bit like mission complete. The one thing that Klopp needs to drill into his side this year is back-to-back titles would make you you know legendary you're already legends for, for winning the title once but you back-to-back it and you you reach sort of that godlike pantheon in terms of where you are and if he's not happy he's hardly going to be drilling that into his players as hard as he possibly could and and therefore it makes it invaluable in terms of morale and and all the different things so yeah. here we are right we are going to move on to the fantasy league and fantasy football uh, we will do this as a roulette wheel after the break. Don't go anywhere. It's time for the roulette wheel. We are back, baby. And this week, it is Fantasy Premier League. Let's give it a spin. Okay, question one. How do you replace Matt Doherty as a wing-back? Do you stick with him at Spurs? And, and, or do you stick with Wolves and Sheffield United defenders, which you saw so many people use last week? Good question. And Dean, I'll throw to you first. I'm worried about starting with him. I have to admit, he's not in my fantasy team at the moment because 
I don't know what kind of role he's going to be given in that Tottenham defence. I'm sure he's going to be playing, but I'm not sure how far up he's going to be going. I don't know if Mourinho's going to fall out of him after five minutes. I don't know what what the future is going to look like for him. So with Doherty, I feel like, I think he's six million, isn't he? So it's not like he's cheap. And I think that there are so many cheap options available as defenders in FPL this season that there are probably other options that you could go for. And even if you wanted a six million fullback, I, I kind of would be tempted by Digne or somebody like that first. Um, while he settles at his new club, and then we'll see how he's getting on, and you can wildcard him in or, or or switch him in at you know five, six, seven weeks into the season once we know how he's establishing himself in that side. So I'd be re- I'd be really scared, as I said in the one to twenty, really scared of Spurs players because of the sheer number of games they have to play, particularly in September and October. If you've got seven to cram into half a month, you, you, look, the starting eleven is just going to be a giant question mark every single time. If you wanna if you wanna risk that which obviously is not generally not something fantasy players want to do. I think feel like I feel like the most risk they want to take is play Pep Roulette with Raheem Sterling and anything after that is is maybe a bit a bit touchy. So yeah, I, I don't think I'd go for him. Um I think Dinia is a really good shout. I think Timothy Castagna at Leicester is probably a, a similar one. I think Alex Tellers if he signs for Wolves just just get him. Just, just get, get Alex Tellers. Yeah, get um and then a little bit further down the line, I mean, Baldock and Baldock and Stevens are pretty good still. I wonder about Jamal Lewis if he joins Newcastle because Steve Bruce keeps clean sheets and Lewis will play left wing back probably for them. So I wonder if that's a bit of an under the radar shout for him. But officially, I'd go just Tellers or Dinia. Yeah, I, I've kept Ender Stevens from last year after his wonderful points return. I, I've got Carl Walker Peters in. Uh, who I think is quite an easy cheap shout. One, yeah. the, other cheap half, shout the other cheap shout I've gone for is Matty Target at Aston Villa, who I think will rotate in that side and I think will will provide assists. This is my this is my take. I think that the way that he swings the ball in will will mean that there will be goals this year for Villa. And I just don't mind him as my fifth rotating option at four at four million. I thought you meant rotate in the Villa side. I was like, mate, Villa have got one left back. But you know he'll play for Villa. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. Um yeah, I've gone I've gone Tierney, Stevens, Robertson, Walker Peters and Target as my five. So what about what about Stuart Dallas and Luke Ayling? Anyone? No, I'm uh, I, I'm wary of, uh, of kind of I'm wary of seeing how Leeds start. I, I think the thing with with both of those is that I'm really intrigued as to how Bielsa is going to line up his side because once Bielsa decides on an eleven, he sticks with it, and mm. that's how he works. But at the moment, I have no idea who's going to be in that eleven. I also think that Luke Haley might play right centre back, and I think that will denounce his value somewhat, which is right. is all a bit weird. So so I'm easy on yeah. that. Let's um let's roll this on to another question. Which of Chelsea's new signings is a must-have slash will score the most points? Uh, Sam, I'll start with you. I think Timo Werner is going to have a great season. Um, we had a we had a, a sort of fr- fr- kind of like a top scorer shout for him earlier earlier on, or he was sort of pimped in that conversation. It's usually very bold to say that a new signing in his first year in the Premier League will, will be in that conversation. But Werner is that good. He is that deadly. Um, I think Werner and Havertz uh, are the two that their price tags in real life will demand that they play as much as possible early on. And the rest, I wouldn't, like, I don't think I'd go near Pulisic, Ziyech, any of the, even the new signings, all of the existing ones, because I have no idea how this shapes out. But what we do know is that given how much they cost, Werner and Havertz, like, they will be given their chances. So those are the only two must-haves for me. I mean, if they sign a goalkeeper, then maybe Chilwell comes into play. But if they don't, then I don't think... Chelsea defender isn't in play at all. 
Yeah, no, I think that's fair sure. enough. I've gone with Havertz purely because I think he's going to play as a nine and he's a midfielder uh, in the kind mm. of Aubameyang mode where Aubameyang is a midfielder, which makes him just ridiculously invaluable. Mm. But I think if Havertz plays, Havertz is going to play, as you say, and I think he will potentially play as the nine, which means that from midfield, those goals and assists could be even more valuable. So I've gone with Kai ahead of, uh, in terms of price and in terms of the position that they play. Yeah. In- it's interesting. I mean, Havertz at 8.5 is quite interesting considering he's just become like their record signing. Like most clubs, they make a record signing and they'd probably be like at least 10 million on, on FPL, you think. Um, I still think like for, for Premier League fans, like there's quite an unknown about Havertz. Like a lot of Chelsea fans don't realise what they're getting here. So I think that if you want to get one up on your mates early on, like I don't know if Havertz will play week one, but probably from week two onwards he's going to be in there and I think that his value will quickly start to go up so that might be one reason to get Havertz in early because that 8.5 ain't staying he's going to be going up and up and up Werner 9.5 though is is, it's just nailed on I think you've got to have him early on because he could just hit the ground running this guy and I just see that he's he's going to be a 20 goal he's going to get a 20 goal haul isn't he Werner's been there all year hasn't he like he signed back in like you know 1996 and he's been training with them ever since he's got he's really had a run at this team he's been the whole pre-season camp whole training camp he's done pre-season he started the first pre-season friendly they played like a lot of these players a lot of new signings come in they come in late you're not sure if they're up to speed you can't say that about Timo Werner I think the funniest thing about this is I was just looking across my midfield line and four of the five of them are are definitely not midfielders (laughs) I've got Kai Havertz Son, Aubameyang, Eberietze, and Mason Greenwood as my five midfielders. Four of those are going to play centre-forward at some point this season, uh, which is just absolutely insane. I'm playing the numbers game on this one. Um, And that means we have one more question to vote. Okay, which player is your absolute must-have this season? Dean Jones, over to you. Trent Alexander-Arnold. Anyone that is good at FPL has Trent Alexander-Arnold in their team. I know it was Jack didn't when he read out his team. So um, that's... I always like, go, I always go Robbo. No, that's fine. I mean, Robbo's not going to be far behind, but I mean, Trent is he's, he's selected already by 54% of, of people playing the game. That's going to go up even more by the time this, this actually starts. I mean, people probably just easing off at the moment because he's had a little bit of an injury concern. Um, 7.5 million going to play every week. Liverpool keep loads of clean sheets. He'll have loads of assists. He'll weigh in with a few goals. He, I think for so many people, he, sh- he will be and should be the first p- picks you have. Absolutely. Sam? So I've done a, a piece on the BR website and on the BR app, which is the fantasy bargain picks and top tips. And I asked three experts because... I'm not really qualified to, to give that advice. Uh, and Rambo, who's been on our show before, uh, presenter at uh, Fantasy Premier League and does his own show, says that Trent is a bargain. And I think Trent is the yeah, most expensive. This. He's the most expensive defender in the game. But he says but his, his, argument, his argument is very solid. His argument is, for seven, if you, 200 points Trent got last season. If you, anyone else that got 200 points cost like 10, 11 million. If, mm. you, if he was anywhere else on the pitch, you'd be like, this is amazing value. So why wouldn't you make room for him? And it's a solid argument. So Trent, I think he's fair. I mean, look, if I think Aubameyang's going to take the golden boot and he's now been moved to a midfielder, I have to say him. But mm. Bruno Fernandes is obviously a massive shout here. And in terms of the bargain stuff, and I would implore you guys to read the, the piece as well because we've got three experts to chime in with some really good stuff. Thomas Suchek is 5 million. And as I alluded to earlier, very briefly, if he's now David Moyes' Fellaini 2.0, the six foot four towering attacking mid who scores loads of headers, and he got three goals post lockdown, 
that is a potential five million Fellaini, and we know how valuable that can be. Yeah, no, I think that's fair enough. I mean, Aubameyang was going to be mine, selected by 43% currently, but a, a joke that he is actually just considered a midfielder. It just yeah. doesn't make any sense. It, it kind of cheats the game. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. It just doesn't really make any sense. But I've also gone with Raul Jimenez, who I've had in my team the last two years, uh, and he's, he's making his third return yeah, to, the, to the side. He's just so good, and he just scores points, and he's 8.5 million. You're like, thanks very much. We'll take that. We take the uh, 194 points from last year, 19% selected. He's not going anywhere, and he's going to score. He's going to score a hat full of goals again this season. So even without the Europa League, uh, he can focus on the league. And I, I think Raúl is is still a lovely shout for this. So I there's my uh, my top tip, which leaves us with two important things left to do. And over to Dean Jones. It's time for Melon of the Week. And this week's Melon of the Week is the England squad. Well, the whole we're thing. Gonna, we're going to cram them all into one melon and just kick them around because I'm not sure what they're doing. Um, let's forget about the actual game against Iceland, which was quite melonish know, anyway. Quite melonish anyway, absolutely. And at the point of recording, I haven't seen the Denmark game. And to be honest, at this stage, I don't even know if I want to see the Denmark game. But never mind. What I want to talk about here is first, let's start with Mason Greenwood and Phil Foden caught with girls in their room in Iceland. Um, Look, boys will be boys, but it's more than that. Uh, breaking COVID rules and means they're dumped from the squad for the next game. Uh, that's just not ideal, is it, when you're trying to make your name in international football and you've just been given a chance by the manager and everybody wants to see you succeed and suddenly you're on two girls' Snapchat and all the rest of it. So and you're on a they, plane home, more importantly. Absolutely, yeah. So they were melons in themselves. But suddenly, actually, they've been outdone. Um, just before we're recording, footage has emerged of an England training drill where players stand around in pairs and they are told to carry out certain commands. So it might be run left or run right or, I don't know, jump in the air. And um, two England players, uh, Kieran Trippier and Danny Ings, one of them at least misunderstood the uh, <laughs> command because they ran headfirst into each other from about a yard apart, straight butt heads, slam into each other, collapse on the grass, and suddenly everybody's checking around them as they lay in agony on the turf. Absolute melanish behaviour from the absolute top draw. One, yeah. of, one of Danny Ings and Kieran Trippier doesn't know his left from right. Yeah, which is fantastic. <laughs> fantastic for all, all involved, I think. Um, it, it just goes to show, you know, Jack Grealish is now the best behaved player in this England squad, which I think is, <laughs> which I think is testament enough that this award is, is going to the right place. So well done, Super Jack. And uh... as a sound we haven't heard in a long time it's a nonsense yeah. siren it's the it nonsense is, siren sound time we time don't we for some nonsense we don't hear the siren that much because i've actually been struggling to to prepare and complete these nonsense rankings so i don't always have one ready and to be completely honest with you i still don't have one ready i don't have a finished ready nonsense ranking I checked my notes when prepping for the show and it turns out i have three half finished ones so i've decided to rank those and I don't know how I'm going to rank them because they're not, they're not finished. But you guys can pick which one you want to hear the most. And I promise you that I will finish it for next week and present Fantastic. it. Well, we'll put and, it out on a poll on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. So in at number three, and don't pay attention to the ranking because they're not finished. So it really doesn't matter. Is uh, ranking the top three most controversial oceans on this planet. <laughs> it's something of a groundbreaking subject. Um, so groundbreaking that 
again, not finished. Don't actually know where I'm going with it. But I think anything from Billy to Frank to the Pacific, it's time we spilled the beans and I'm willing to do it. Okay. Well, is the ocean wisdom count? Ocean wisdom is in play. Ocean club in play. Pacific, what? Atlantic, Billy, Frank. Any more? Yeah, there's the, um, the model who modeled the new Chelsea kit that looks a bit like Palace. Her name is Ocean. Um, her name is Ocean Lewis. Ocean Lewis. Yeah. Consider, consider yourself in the crosshairs. Is in the crosshairs, okay. yeah. In at number two, the best three things that you can eat at a hotel breakfast buffet compared to footballers. Uh, pretty much as it says on the tin, I guess. Imagine you're at the Ibis in Stockholm. Uh, breakfast is included in your stay. You walk downstairs, grab a plate, turn to the buffet. What do you pick? It's that three times compared to footballers. Lovely. And what's in top? And at number one is three things that I would replace my blood with if I could. Um, and I'd like to make it clear that I know that you can't replace blood with anything and live. Have you not done like, this before? I would die. No, I've never done this. Are you sure? Uh, I thought I, at one point we might have, have had coffee and <laughs> Guinness and <laughs> I oh, think this I? might be, I think you might have done this ranking before. And I've forgotten it and then only <laughs> half finished it again. <laughs> Which is incredible work to be honest. All right, well I've got a new one and it's half finished. Okay, fantastic. Well, we, we, we may be past on that. I hope that the well the rank score can decide obviously, but uh, well, I hope, sure I hope the rank score don't decide on that one. Mm. Um, well, thank you, Sam. That was a, an excellent answer ranking in that it gives us some, some more content. So we can, we can put that out on Twitter and see what people want. I personally am quite in for the ocean ranking. That'll, mm. be, uh, that'll be what does it for me. Um, but that is our Premier League preview. And uh, all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much to Sam Tai. Thank you, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been BR Football Ranks. Thank you for listening as ever. We'll be back next week talking a bit more generally about the other European leagues, which are also on the way back. We'll see you soon, Rank Squad. Take care. Peace.